Hello, my fellow ortho enthusiasts, and welcome to the Seaview Ortho Podcast, where we cover everything orthopedics to get you back to quality living. I am your host, Layla Jabbar, and you are joining us for episode four, where we will be discussing soccer with the pros, knee injuries, treatments, recoveries from the point of view of player, coach, trainer, surgeon, and physical therapist. Today, we are joined by Dr. Sunil Thacker, John Gallucci Jr., and Tab Ramos. From Seaview Orthopedics, Dr. Thacker is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine. He has been involved with the care of numerous professional NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, UFC, and NBA athletes, including members of the Philadelphia Eagles, Flyers, Kicks, and Phillies as well as collegiate athletes from the University of Delaware and Rowan University. He has been awarded with the title of New Jersey Top Doc for the last nine years. John Gallucci Jr. is the president and CEO of JAG One Physical Therapy, a noted author, and an Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award winner. John is currently the medical coordinator for Major League Soccer and is the former head athletic trainer of the New York Red Bulls MLS team. John is a sports medicine consultant for professional athletes in the NHL, NFL, NBA, MLB, and U.S. wrestling, and was named among ROI NJ Top 20 Healthcare Influencers of 2021. Tab Ramos is not only one of the greatest U.S. national team players of all time, but he is also the first player to sign a contract with major league soccer clubs. After retiring from professional soccer, Tab founded a U.S. Soccer Development Academy Club in New Jersey, and he coached the U.S. Under-20 National Team from 2011 to 2019, reaching four FIFA Under-20 World Cup tournaments. He was inducted into the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame in 2005, and most recently, he was the head coach of the Houston Dynamo FC in the MLS. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules. Um, there's not many people that I'm a bigger fan of than myself, and you can ask anybody here, but uh, both of you guys are on my radar screen as far as that goes, and I've looked up to Tab forever. Um, John, just through working with him over the years and, and with Jag One, we've had a, a great experience and gotten a lot of players back to – to uh ship shape and i it, it does take a, a an effort of everybody involved it's not just a it's not just a, an injury and then the doctor takes care of it the, there's a lot of background stuff that goes on to make sure that that guy gets healthy so i appreciate all you guys being here today thank you Yes, thank you guys so much. So 2022 is here, and we all know it is a FIFA World Cup year, so super excited for that. As all the players gear up for the games of a lifetime, I'm sure injury prevention is in the forefront of their minds, as we still have what I believe is 272 days before FIFA kicks off. Um, soccer, like most other sports, puts you at risk for injury. We know this. Most soccer injuries involve the lower parts of your body, mainly the ankles, legs, and injuries come from overuse, landing incorrectly, and sudden movements, or even an encounter with another player. So, Tab, we're starting with the pro. In your years as a player, did you ever personally face a knee injury? If so, if you could tell us a little bit about what it was and how long it took you to get back to the field. Okay, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here. 
Um, yeah, I, you know, I had a pretty long career uh, in which I had many uh, knee injuries. I had two ACLs, so let's just call those the most difficult ones to come back from. Um, but like, uh, like Doc just said, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it takes a team. It takes a team to, to, to get somebody better, uh, and it's a process. And as long as you follow the process and, you, and you, uh, you're dedicated to the process, uh, there's no reason why um, an athlete couldn't come back 100%. I have to ask, of the ACL injuries, can you tell us a little bit about how one of them happened? Uh, yeah, one of them was just, uh, I was playing a World Cup qualifier, uh, just on a, on a sprint, second half, about 20 minutes left in the game, so a little bit tired. Uh, playing in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a very hard surface. Uh, and I reached for a ball um, over a defender. And when I landed, my knee buckled. Uh, and I felt right away, I felt the, the sting uh, in the knee. And I, you know, we knew right away that it was something serious. That was my first one. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, it can happen in a, in a split second and it can happen and, and, you know, it's, Sometimes it's hard to believe all the different movements that we make when we play and the strain that we put on our knees. And sometimes it could be the slightest movement that could, that could, tear, uh, that could tear a ligament in the knee. And that was, uh, at that point, it was really disappointing. Oh, my gosh, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I'm sure even from a coaching standpoint, when you see your players and the knee injuries, I'm sure you know right away when they go down, it's something serious. Yeah, I you know, that's that's one thing that as a coach, you know, I take the experience that I had as a player and it comes in quite handy. Um, as I'm sure you guys are much, you know, better experts than I am at this. Um, but I, I can tell a lot of the time when a player goes down what the injury is almost right away. Uh, and, and you can tell if it's serious. Of course, it's not 100 percent, but, you know, you, you get a pretty good idea from the way a player can go down you get a pretty good idea on what the, the, the injury is going to be. For sure. And John, in your experience, you know, as a trainer for professional soccer teams, what is the most common knee injury that you saw on the field? So, I mean, most common, you see a tremendous amount of meniscus tears, but of course we see our share of, of ACLs tremendously uh, throughout all of soccer, uh, collision and non-collision ACLs. First and foremost, thank you again for inviting me and Tab on, on the show. But in soccer, professional soccer, recreational soccer, club soccer, collegiate soccer, high school soccer, I would say the highest incident is, is definitely meniscus tears based on a rotary component in the sport. Um, but uh, ACLs is very, very prominent throughout. And being a physical therapist and athletic trainer, I've had the opportunity from being on field from onset to 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 post surgical rehabilitation and then return to play back onto the field. So after uh, someone as great as Dr. Thacker does a, an ACL repair, it's very important that me as the athletic trainer from the onset communicates with Dr. Thacker and then ultimately together and collaboratively with the athlete, the coach of the athlete uh, and the parents of the athlete. We work collaboratively to get that athlete back on the field in tip-top shape. So it's not just the rehabilitation of the knee, as Tab will tell you. It's really getting back to what we call player-ready or, or game-ready. Um, and a lot of people miss that in sports. Everybody thinks that uh, the normalcy is, can you walk up and down the stairs with no pain? Well, as Tab will tell you, 
playing soccer is definitely a, a whole other level. And, and you not only have to have a, a strong component of your lower extremity, you need to make sure your core, your endurance, your level of fitness is there before return to play. Otherwise, you can sustain a secondary injury and end up being out longer. For sure. Dr. Thacker, I'm sure you can agree with a lot of that. And, you know, from a surgeon standpoint, when a soccer player comes in, what injuries are you most commonly seeing? I, I would agree. I, I, I mean, we see everything from metatarsal fractures in the foot. You'll see a lot of times and the higher level players can do things without a lot more times without contact because of the fact that their strength and their abilities are so high that you can just plant and because you're so powerful you can pivot off of that foot and depending on the type of uh turf that you're playing on or the, the field conditions the weather whether or not it's wet and slick on a turf field then all of a sudden you start slipping a little bit depending on the uh, things like the cleats that you're wearing and how deep the the cleats are those all play into to getting injuries and i i agree 100 percent with john as far as everybody being on the same team we know the injuries that are there the physical therapists who have been in the game and deal with sports medicine for a long time understand what the recoveries take and and we've gone years ago went to a uh, much more uh functional based recovery for athletes because you can because there are people who put in the time every day and at the pro level you're in the training room for hours and hours and hours every day trying to rehab from an injury like that whereas the guy who plays recreational soccer might go to therapy three times a week. And that, that recovery is going to be a lot slower than the guy who's putting in eight hours a day. Um, granted there, they might have different gains as far as where they want to get at, uh, at the highest level versus just play, going back to recreational soccer. But the core strength thing is one of the biggest things. I think that's the thing that everybody misses and you get these great kids that are coming out at, at development uh, level that are phenomenal athletes and maybe they're a little undersized and, and where they pay for that is that there's, there's growth spurt ages that 10 to 14 age where you got the 12 year old kid who looks like he just came in there on his motorcycle with his three kids on the back. <laughs> and you got the, you got the, uh, you know, the, the 12 year old who looks like he's eight and those they've tried to adjust some of the rules with uh, youth soccer to try and equate that. Uh, I think a lot of it goes by age and there's there's reasons that it has to stay within certain boundaries, but they've definitely tried to to help by getting some of the size differential and 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 skill level differential. I think that's one of the other things that comes into play. But yeah, I would say any kind of pivoting sport, so soccer being one of the one of the most um, pivoting of all of them when you have to juke another player and you have to plant and you have to move your feet that quick and you can't get them up on time and somebody else is coming in a little late on the tackle and the next thing you know everybody's legs are getting wrapped up so for a guy like tab to be successful it's not just to have that skill level it's to have that skill level to be able to avoid major injuries throughout your coming up in the in the career and then to be able to get past the injuries that you have i mean it's it's when they say it's one in a million people that would get to the pro level, there's a reason for that. It's not because the one in a million have the skill. More than that have the skill, but along the way there's going to be pitfalls and you have to be able to recover from them. 
So yes, Dr. Thacker definitely um, just touched on my next question. So I kind of want to field this question to everybody, no pun intended. But why do we think knee injuries are so common in soccer? I know you just mentioned a lot of the leg tangling, pivoting, um, but I'd love to hear, you know, from all of your perspectives, why we think soccer specifically ends up in so many knee injuries. I think Tab should take that one. I think that's yeah, especially looking at players every day. Shoot it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, um, I, you know, it, it's actually, it, it's a good question. But um, yeah, I, I think that the most important thing is that it's the uncertainty of, of where you're going to land when you land. You know, when, whenever it's not so much the force with which you play, because when you're cutting, you're, you're sure of where you're cutting. It's more when you're off balance. It's more when you're unsure. It's more when you get tackled and you don't know where you're going to land. Um, and I think those are the difficult moments. You know, you rarely see a player just getting a knee injury by cutting because of cutting, it's all predictable movement and you're prepared for that. You know, as John was saying, whenever you have an injury, there's, you know, there's a team helping you to recover. And when you recover, you usually come back stronger than when you were playing in the first place. So you're ready for all the movements, but you can't be ready for something that's unpredictable. And, and those are the moments that are really dangerous in soccer. And they happen all the time because the game is a, constant flow it's constantly moving there's no two plays alike uh, so you can't predict what's going to happen next and you can only prepare as much as you can considering that you don't know what's going to happen so I think you know I, I think the the those uncertain moments where you don't know where you're landing those are the difficult ones and most of the knee injuries occur I think it's important I think it's important to know too that soccer is a world game and it's played at every level it's played from children club, school, academy. Um, so professionals, and, and Tab could probably definitely weigh in on this, have a full team. So if you look at our programs at Major League Soccer, there's physical therapists, athletic trainers, nutritionists, physicians, primary care, all around the team consistently for the care of musculoskeletal injuries in general. And when you look at athletes from the collegiate down, they don't have that huge uh network of medical professionals similar to myself and Dr. Thacker consistently around them and working collaboratively with them. So, so ultimately what happens is a lot of your lower extremity injuries, a lot of your, your, your strains, your sprains uh, are, are really caused by not being ready for the demand of the sport. And Tab, who's played something his entire life, will tell you every level he's played he could probably pick out the athletes he went against that probably were not at a fitness level to compete, probably sustain an injury because of levels of fitness. We see it each and every day in every level of sport that if you're not ready for the demands of sport, and then Dr. Thacker and I in our practices probably see each and every day, when do you see the largest incident of, in of injury? You see that largest incident of injury in preseason because most youth athletes are not coached for a preseason, then they come in for this so-called two or three week conditioning and the coaches ramp them up to 100 to 110% on day two. And then all of a sudden you have 20% of your squad seeing me and Dr. Thacker. So I think it's important that the messaging out to the community, especially with a pro like Tab that's played at, at every level and coached now at every level, especially in a developmental component with the US national program, understand that it's important 
that you need to prepare for any sport, not just soccer, but the demands of the sport, as Dr. Thacker pushed out, it's very, very important that people understand the pliability, the functionality, the biomechanics, the endurance, the strength. Do you know how many injuries that we probably see a week in our facilities for people that don't know how to hydrate and sleep and, and train appropriately? So I think there's a lot to be said on that, not just on the ACL, but in musculoskeletal injuries in general with soccer. Absolutely. I, I agree. I think like you, you touched on nutrition. I think that's one of the things that goes by the wayside and yet probably one of the more important things. Um, I used to tell my, my son played at a, at a higher level. Not, I mean, I'm saying high level with, with you guys. So I'm going to say my son played at a lower level <laughs> and uh, I, you realize that like I, I would tell him we were playing in the middle of July and, and it'll be 110 degrees. And, and I'm like, you got to the night before you got to drink those, those liquid cells need to be liquefied before you go to bed. If it's, if you're trying to drink water a half an hour before the game and you're expecting not to get a cramp, you're and when it's 110 degrees outside, you're out of your mind. Like it's those things take time for your body to process and little things like that go by the wayside and lead to injuries. And it's one, it's interesting because tab tab said that he uh, got hurt in, in the later part of the game. And that's another thing that happens. Like if you're not conditioned right, maybe you're good for the first half. And by the time you're tired for the second half, when you go to make that move, all of a sudden you're not, you don't have a hundred percent anymore. You're at 90%. And if you look at how much these pro soccer players run in a game, I mean, now they can calculate all that stuff on it's, it gives you like when the guy comes off the field, they, he ran 7.5 kilometers today. Okay, like that that's during a game like might have played 35 minutes in the game. That's a lot of running that you're doing sprint stop sprint stop. Those people don't realize how much that is. I think that that like things like the Fitbit and stuff like that have have helped us to understand how many steps we take in a day. But in reality like now there's there's more um, advanced apps to show you how much you actually run, how much like mileage you've covered. And it is very important to be conditioned right for the level that you're playing. You guys make really great points. And actually in one of our previous episodes, we talked about, you know, younger kids in sports and we talked about how high schools per se are putting a much more um, heavy importance on like dynamic stretching and you know how important that is to the prevention of injury. And in soccer, like Tab said, with knee injuries, you're not always going to be able to prevent it. There's a lot of times you don't know how you're going to land or you don't know when that collision is going to happen. But, you know, the younger sports are putting a heavy um, importance on that stretching and concussion prevention. Is there a way that, you know, whether it's a young kid or a professional athlete can prevent some of these knee injuries? Well, there's a bit with Dr. Thacker said is maybe Tab could share a little bit at the U.S. national level and also at the at the pro level, how much technology is involved in in the in the conditioning and and the strategy of of, of working as a coach with the players? I don't know, Tab, if you want to expand on that at all. Yeah, I mean the the, the prevention part is uh, uh, takes up most of the players' day. Uh, you know, when when a professional team comes into training uh, in the morning they have a good solid hour of going through different kinds of movements and strengthening exercises according to what they need. 
And that's whether they have, somebody may have a weaker hamstring or, you know, or somebody may have a weaker calf or a bad ankle or a, a issue with a knee. Everyone is preparing for whatever their weakest area in their body is. Um, and the preparation with the high performance department is, is huge. It's the biggest part of actually being a pro. You know, the training session sometimes can be 40 minutes, sometimes can be an hour 15, but the preparation before and the strengthening after uh, play the biggest roles uh, to get you prepared for games more than the actual training sessions. I, I think I've seen too at the high school level, a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches have gone by the wayside with the, the with what we used to do, just to the rig, 10 minute stretch kind of warm up thing that for some reason has lost a lot of uh, momentum in and the coaches just get the kids right out and start them playing. I think that's one of the worst things you could do, especially when there's temperature issues. If it's freezing cold outside, you're going to pull something. If you're not warmed up, if you're, you know, you maybe you can get away with it to some level when you're younger. Definitely. Once you start getting into college years and beyond that, you're, you need to, to be able to stretch. And I think that's one thing that everybody forgets. I, I mean, if you, you, we, we deal with that in casting all the time, you're trying to clear somebody to play. They just came out of the cast and they can barely move their wrist. Okay. Well, the bones healed, but you know what, if you were to fall down right now and your wrist was to go back the normal amount, your wrist can't do that. You just came out of a cast. So now all of a sudden, if your wrist gets pushed back to the normal level, you're going to stress something and you might even refracture the bone. So flexibility plays a big thing in it. I think that's something that people lose sight of. I think what Tab was touching on, there's a lot of parents who think their kids are the best thing in the world. We all think our kids are amazing. And some parents take it to the next level and think their kid's going to be the next Tab Ramos. So <laughs> they are going to put them in three different leagues where maybe the better thing to do would be to put them in a – in a physical therapy type performance program where they actually work with a therapist on correct mechanics so that when they are playing, they are not doing things incorrectly that are setting themselves up for an injury. Absolutely. These are great points guys. Thank you. And, um, I played soccer, obviously not on the professional or even collegiate level, but I played for 15 plus years myself and I experienced a lot of overuse injuries. Thankfully, never a knee injury, but I had shin splints, groin pulls, uh, you know, Achilles tendonitis. Do these types of soccer injuries have long-term effects as an adult? Cause it's harder and harder to get up in the morning out of that bed. I'm sure a lot of professional athletes feel a lot worse than I do, but <laughs> I, I, I can attest I, to that. Yeah, go. <laughs> go. It's really hard to get up in the morning. <laughs> it's uh, it's difficult, you know. Uh, after a lot of surgeries and a lot of years of having played, you know, I I still I run three miles every day. Um, I you know I try to stay as fit as I can and I enjoy it. Uh, but if I didn't do it for two or three days in a row, I'd have a tough time moving around. I feel like I need to uh, keep moving. Um, both of my knees. Um, I'm at a point where I can't bend them all the way back. I have only, they only go to a certain place and then, and then I can't bend them all the way back. Fortunately, I have good extension on both, which is the one thing that's like ingrained in the back of my, you know, in the back of my brain from John Gallucci telling me that, you know, <laughs> extension is so important when you do ACL extension, extension, you always should have, you know, so my extension is good. Uh, but but, uh, the only yeah, thing I ingrained really in your head, that was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's all just extension. 
<laughs> so I, I think Tab just touched on something very important, and and I, I want to make sure that that we highlight it is is the body's made to move, and and although you may have had injuries, you may have had surgeries, um, you, you you may have gone through rehab. The most important thing for the body is to keep it moving. It's 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 a it's the body is is made to locomote. It's made to function within ranges of motion. And, and ultimately between proper nutrition, hydration, and exercise, it's very important. As you can imagine, you know, TAB is probably, if you look at the athletes I've treated over the years, probably closest to my age. Um, but, but ultimately, he might even be a little bit older than me. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but if you look at the athlete and you look at the timeline of the athletes and when they recover, as they get into their 40s and 50s, a lot of athletes will stop. And when you have that injury, you might have rehab and you don't take care of your body like anybody. You don't have to be an athlete. You start to lose that general conditioning. And it's so important for us today to get a message across that it's not just about injuries. It's about the utilization of your body and the function. I mean, the healthiest, the healthier your heart, the healthier you are. The more, the more you move, the more the joints move, the more lubricated they are, the more the musculoskeletal system works and functions correctly. So I've actually taken athletes, and, and I don't want to say older athletes, I'll say wiser athletes, that all of a sudden after play stopped doing everything. And then they come and see me 10 years later, and they're in severe pain. They have severe quad pain because they went out and played a game of soccer and they didn't play in two years. Well, ultimately, you put them on a conditioning program for three to four weeks, and they're like, oh, you're a miracle worker. No, I made you do what your body was made to do, which is move. So with Tab said that he's functioning each and every day and doing aerobic activity, but also making his body move, is probably the most important thing that Dr. Thacker and I can get out to the community. You have to move or you get stiff, you get sore. Soreness is not an indication of an injury. It's an indication you're not moving. So you need to move. And I think we see that more with jobs that are more and more jobs that are computer-based, where you're sitting at desks, where people have started to do things remotely now. And even maybe your commute into the city stopped. But like for those of us who live in New Jersey, like I, I know I can barely get a tea time anymore because everybody's working from home now and uh, they're all playing golf six days a week. And, you know, they're why, but now they're sitting at home, they're sitting at their desk and I'm seeing a lot more neck things, stiffness. I'm seeing a lot more just postural issues that are coming up from people just sitting around and like, I, I don't know how much candy crush anybody can play <laughs> in a day, but apparently it's a lot a enough lot. to enough to cause you to round your shoulders all the time. So I think that's absolutely true. And and you see the guys, I mean, Tab's in better shape than I will ever be in. <laughs> so I, I, the fact that he is living the quality of life that he is at, at his young, I'm going to say young age, because <laughs> like, uh, he's clearly younger than me. I don't know, John, you know, you're going to start throwing down some gauntlets over here with <laughs> accusing him of being older than you. But um, I, I you we see it and from the medical standpoint, because 100 people come through my office every week and you see the ones that are 50 years old that have took taken care of themselves all all the time. And you see the ones that are 50 years old that are a mess and just overweight and 
just d don't have any flexibility and don't have any strength. And it's an effort for them to get out of a chair. And the people who are taking care of themselves throughout life are going to get a lot more value out of their bodies than the people who are like, who are really abusing their bodies, if you want to call it that, or, or not using them for what they're meant for. Absolutely. This is my uh, final question, but I think it's a very important one. And John's touched on it a few times. And so is Dr. Thacker. But, you know, from all standpoints that we have here on this podcast right now, um, inexperience, rehabbing, a soccer injury or really any sport related injury, how important is collaboration from all levels to getting somebody back to the field and consulting with your physician and then the physician taking the proper course of action for that patient and physical therapists and even the coaches making sure that they're following or being compliant with the plan. Um, how important is this collaboration? So, so I'll, I'll take it to a component only because I do a tremendous amount of educating to coaches and communities and if you look here in New Jersey, the Athletic Training Association in New Jersey and the Director of Athletics Association actually bring me in to, to speak about how to treat youth athletes and how to treat high school athletes. And one of the biggest things is I have a chart that I show this teamwork approach and the athlete is in the middle of is in the middle. And it's important that the athlete, especially with an injury, is is communicating consistently with his athletic trainer, physical therapist, parents coach, physician, and making sure the performance component and return to play, let it be a physical therapist or a strength and conditioning coach working collaboratively, that that teamwork approach is constant. And, and that's something that I push very, very hard throughout the associations here in New Jersey. And it's, and it's very, very important. If you look at someone like Tab that's played at every level, I think Tab could probably comment that everywhere that he's gone, and, and I'm sure at times agents and wives might have gotten involved and parents, but <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure. Wives getting involved in that stuff? <laughs> Sounds so ridiculous. I'm sure Tab can expand on the teamwork approach at the pro level. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of factors to it, in particular when you're talking about you know, uh, let's take an athlete, for example, that's in high school, that's on the verge of hoping to get a scholarship somewhere and he gets injured and now he's got some big games coming up, but the high school season will be over in a month. How, you know, and now you have the pressure of getting them back, you know, and now you have the parents putting the pressure to getting them back and the pros is exactly the same, but there's a lot more components to it. You know, it's, is that player going to be out of contract at the end of the year? So the agent is calling you. Uh, is, you know, is the coach going to be out of a job at the end of the year? Does the coach need him next week or this week? Or is the coach willing to take a chance on, you know, on the player being injured longer? So, so not always on every team and in every circumstance is, you know, when you talk about that team and that circle of people with the athlete in the middle, I think the answer is not always the, 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 what the best answer would be for a long-term recovery of the player. Sometimes you need the player now, and sometimes you have to be willing to take a chance that the injury can get worse. And, and I know that's not something that people like to hear sometimes, but this is stuff that happens in the pros all the time. You know, there's a game that you have to win. There's people getting fired. There's a lot at stake from week to week, and you need the athletes on the field now, not two weeks from now. And, and all those factors can, you know, add pressure. So whether it is, you know, John was saying the parents or, you know, the wives or whatever, but, you know, this is the case. It's how it works. You have the agents, you have the technical director of the club, you have the owner of the team, 
team who may, may have paid tons of money for a player and he doesn't see him on the field. You have the coach who's playing for his job. You know, there's so many other factors <laughs> that lead into the speed in which you have to help the player recover. So I, I'm not, you know, so I, I'm sure that doesn't help from a, you know, from a medical standpoint, I'm sure the answer is only one, you know, you have to go the safest way to get the athlete back. So the athletes back hundred percent. Well, that sounds like a beautiful ending to a beautiful movie, but that's not always the way it works. No, I agree. I mean, I, like I said, I, I, uh, I'll give you instances, and we were talking about meniscus being one of the biggest, like our most common injuries. So we had this, we had this UPenn football player, University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school. Kids are good. They don't usually get the at the Ivy League. They don't give athletic scholarships, and so most of these kids are undersized. Every once in a while, you'll hear about somebody going to the NFL from Harvard. Fitzpatrick, went, uh, the quarterback from Harvard, went there, but the, most of those are kids that are there because they're academically strong and they're proud and they're playing football because they were good. Their likelihood of them going to the next level is, is pretty small. So we had a kid who was a, a sophomore in, and at UPenn and he tore his meniscus and it was, you know, four weeks before the end of the season. Now the parents are, we have, we, he has a fixable meniscus tear. Now, if I fix it, it's going to be six weeks of protection and then another few weeks to get him back to strength and, and range of motion back. So you're at 10 weeks, but now he has his whole meniscus and the prevention of arthritis like throughout his life is now down to the, the normal. If you take out that piece of meniscus, it, if it's fixable, chances are it's at the periphery, which means you're taking a huge piece of it out. And the more you take out exponentially faster uh, is the development of arthritis. And so the parents want him to play football and get back before the end of the season. Now, if I just take that piece out, it's a couple of weeks. He can probably play somewhat in a week and probably in two weeks, he's doing most things by three. He's close to a hundred percent, but in the long term for a kid who's 19 years old to take out an, like most of his meniscus is really not the right decision. But, but again, those factors come into play at, at what, with what Tab was saying like this. Maybe this is what, – what if it's not – let's take him out of UPenn and put him at Nebraska. And now it's his senior year and he's going into the draft next year. Well, now all of a sudden it's different conditions. Now, all of a sudden, there's different factors. So that, I wish that it was that simple, Tab. I wish that there was only one answer for every solution. But I think some of the, sometimes it's the thing that, that is not the right thing, according to the book. And my job as a physician is to tell you what the consequences of what your decisions are and to tell you what the long-term and short-term consequences are and then to give you the pros and cons of the options that you have and then we will work on that together. And, uh, and, that's, and the more people you have in your camp as far as agents, as far as general managers, owners, and that stuff, the more complicated it gets because the more people that are putting their opinion in on what's the best thing and everybody is looking out for what their version of what the best thing is for you, that's not necessarily the best thing for the actual player. And that is where it's the, the, the water gets muddy. The one, thing, the one thing I would add to that is, you know, and as I found out in, in MLS in particular, but it applies, I think, in, in all cases to all different levels, is regardless of how many people 
become part of making decisions on, you know, how quickly someone's going to come back or what the treatment's going to be. I think the most important thing for the athlete is to decide that there's one person running point on the medical side. Um, because what happens sometimes in, in a league like MLS, and I assume it happens in other professional leagues as well, you know, when you have players coming from other foreign countries and you have a medical team within the, te within the, within the club that you're playing for, those players sometimes, when, if they don't feel like they're recovering quickly enough, their agents normally have them talking to someone outside the country, and now they're following a couple different protocols. And now it becomes a mess. So I think the important part is to always follow one person on the medical side, regardless of what the expectations are, um, that somebody needs to be the point person. Agreed. The other I, thing we have John, to, the other thing we, before we close, we, ha we have to start to think about too, and Dr. Thacker and I each and every day are teaching athletes from the club level, the collegiate level, the high school level, and, and ultimately we're in a position with the new NCAA rule change that we're going to be seeing agents at a much earlier age than, than just the professional level. Uh, just this year alone, we've had high school athletes that have sustained injuries. And although they're not contracted by an agent, the parents have in the back of their head that they're about to be a freshman in college and about to sign an agent. So that's changing a component of agents being involved in a much, much earlier level when it comes to athletes, injuries, communication, and ultimately pressure on the athlete to perform and get better quicker instead of getting better healthier. And I think that's something that Dr. Thacker and I are gonna have to combat. Maybe we could do a whole show on that down the road, but yeah, it's definitely something that, that we're, we're starting to see in, in our facilities at Jack One. I, I haven't slept well thinking about the mom who thinks that her 13 year old kid is going to go into pro soccer because they're they were typically the most tyrannical people in my practice as far as trying to decide which way something should go when they had no medical background at all. I dread the day of the, the high school agent because it's coming and it's coming fast and I mean, you see, my, my daughter goes to University of Alabama, and that kid, the quarterback, got got a million dollars before he set foot on the field for the first thing. And and now this year, there's a bunch of weird things that happen with with uh, people signing. That that one football player went to was was signed with uh, University or Florida State, and then ended up switching after he committed to the the team that Deion Sanders is the is the coach for. So. Again, like there was nobody said anything, but I can't imagine why you would switch from a, a division one school that you committed to, to a, like an, uh, an unranked school that unless there was some carrot that was waved on the end of that stick. So that's good. I definitely am not looking forward to that because it starts to put money into something that was supposed to be really looking out for the best interest of the player. And sometimes the people who are handling the money aren't looking at that they're looking at what they can get out of this kid guys we are out of time so i just want to say um this has been the cvu ortho podcast a super super huge special thank you to today's guest u.s men's national team legend and national soccer soccer hall of famer tab ramos the president and ceo of jag one physical therapy john gallucci jr and dr sunil thacker of cvu orthopedics you can book an appointment online with Dr. Thacker today at seaviewortho.com. 
Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Ortho and like us on Facebook for updates on upcoming episodes. You never know, John, we might have to do a follow up to this one. Get up, get moving and get back to quality living with Seaview Orthopedics.